You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black leg. If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am. Streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Solidarity Breakfast on your 3CR, the community radio station with a voice. And... uh, the This week, I've had a very curious week. I've been to the 17th birthday of WikiLeaks and uh, I've been to Lydia Thorpe's press conference and uh, I've heard shaggy tales about what the police, Victorian police or what they like to call themselves, Vic Pol. They like to call themselves Vic Pol. I um, always think that when they say that, it's like um, a name for a cow or something, you know. But anyway, Vic Pol... Um, I've got a couple of uh, great stories about Vic Pohl this week and uh, we've also, this is the week that was, and we're also going to go to a um, a, a call out that was happened in August. I went uh, prowling about that wasn't from this week, but it was uh, in honour of the fact that there's a big rally tomorrow for uh, that uh, RAC, the Refugee Action Collective, are putting on. Uh, to because uh, 10 years is just too long for uh, not giving people permanent visas. And uh, I went to one of their speak outs out f- the front of Home Affairs and it was such a, a fabulous affair where people can stand there and orate um, on without uh, uh, missing a beat. Uh, so uh, we'll hear some of the issues that they'll be talking about uh, tomorrow. Uh, when you go along, you'll hear them in real life or at 2pm. And uh, we also will go to a fantastic action that happened at the uh, Victoria College of the Arts. You know that Victoria College of the Arts was hoovered up by Melbourne University. They've been an epicentre of the strike that's been going on all week uh, at uh, Melbourne Uni for NTU uh, members, National Tertiary Education Union members, if uh, you're not uh, or around the, the letters. All the letters, everybody has to know the letters. It's, uh, it's alphabet wrangling. We live in the alphabet wrangling world. Anyway, um, there's uh, uh, lots of things going on, but before we go any further, this is the really important thing that's happening this week besides the RAFU strike. Hey, you all out there? Let's join the National Day of Action to stop black deaths in custody. 1pm Saturday the 7th of October at the State Library of Victoria. We need to implement the recommendations from the 1991 Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody now. You say you respect country and you believe in black justice, 
then you turn up because we have an opportunity on the 7th of October to push this government to implement recommendations that will keep our people alive. For more information, go to blacksovereignmovement.com. That's B-L-A-K sovereignmovement.com. Black Sovereign Movement is a 3CR supporter. You're with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast. And uh, like I said, uh, we'll have it. we've got a couple of stories about Vic Pohl. Um, we're going to set the story up. Uh, I went down to uh, uh, the WikiLeaks people's uh, celebration, the 17th birthday party, which we will hear uh, a little bit later on in the um, show. Uh, they went to a couple of locations. They uh, went to the ABC to knock on the door there and remind them that this is a big story, that Julian Assange is still in Belfast prison. Uh, they went down to the uh, US consulate. And of course, you'll remember that uh, Tuesday was the day that we, we got the rain, the rain, the very exciting rain after a scorching hot weekend. Uh, and everybody was uh, talkative and uh, happy and things were happening because of the rain. Uh, then they were going to go to the UK consulate, which is in uh, Colling. Collins Street, all these different places you learn about in our exciting city, Melbourne. Anyway, um, but I had the uh, honour of hearing a story that happened to Simon Hunt and his partner. And this puts a completely different complexion on what uh, the uh, uh, AFL Grand Final. It completely changes uh, Saturday in my mind now because... This is what happened to Simon and Anita on that day. Let's see if I can... Here we go. So tell me what happened. Well, we're, we're walking by there. And um, we're talking about Saturday uh, of the grand final. Grand final, yes. Well, Anita and I turned up there because we were going into the uh, library in the city, walking past the MCG, and I was carrying a picture of Julian Sands by my side. And Anita was um, this, uh, this, uh, holding a flag um, with Julian Assange's face on it. And it was blowing lovely in the wind, uh, beautifully in the wind. And all of a sudden she was getting tackled by, by the police. And, uh, and at the same time they tackled me. And, and you said there were about nine, nine there, of them? There were nine of them, yeah. yeah. I actually counted eight, but apparently there was nine. And it seemed like a bit of a training exercise because there were there were a couple of those senior senior constables and the other ones were young constables and they were doing all the aggressive stuff and the older guys were sort of hanging back. It seemed like it was a bit of a training mission or something. And, and there was crowds of people. Crowds of people everywhere, yeah. And, um, they were and what time was this? Oh, it would have uh, look. It would have been one thirty or something. I think it starts about two, mm -hmm. a little bit before the game started. Uh, and they were manhandling Anita and they are trying to rip her flag away from her. And then they, right in front of her, they broke this, the, the, the pole, the stick. Um, and then they claimed that it and was... And this flag had a picture of Julian Assange on the top. Uh, on the flag, yeah. So they, they, they were trying to grab it off her. Then they broke the stick right in front of her. Then they tried to claim that it was a dangerous weapon because since it had been broken, it had you know, sharp... Um, you know, it was sharp, but it was broken. And, and, and um, then they handcuffed Anita. 
and behind the back, which is always more painful. And Anita was complaining and, and, and at one stage actually squealing in, in, in distress. Um, and um, oh, it was awful. Um, and uh, she complained about the handcuffs and the, the young constable, who was very aggressive, we've got his name, um, a red-headed guy with a red beard, he um, uh, said, oh, they're supposed to hurt. And they were a funny sort of triangular shape. They weren't the usual round handcuffs. They sort of, they looked like they were designed to cause you pain. Anyway, so finally they, uh, they let her off and then at the same time they, they were demanding that I identify myself. And I said, look, I'm not driving a car, I'm not committing a crime, I don't uh, need to identify myself. I'm a free civilian. Um, and I'm not going to give you my identification. I'm not going to give you my name and birthday. And then they um, got out the, the iPad and uh, all of a sudden I saw a picture of myself on the iPad and then they said, uh, 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 read out my address to me. Um, and I said, oh, well, that's very clever, boys, you know, what, a bit of facial recognition going on there, is it? And the picture of me was a, a recent picture of me on, that they had on their iPad. Then they called, called my number and my phone rang, and I didn't know who it was, of course. And it was a red, you know, unknown number. Uh, I didn't answer it, so then they called me again, I answered it. And then sure enough, it was the policeman standing sort of two feet away from me. I could hear, hear my voice on his phone. And I was going, oh, well, that's very tricky, guys, you know, because this old bloke was constantly telling me he was reasonable. And I was like, well, it depends on how you define reasonable, really, because I don't think anything you've done today is reasonable. And then he, when he, um, you know, did the um, photo identification, facial recognition of myself, he said, oh, I'm also smart. <laughs> so there's a, bit of, a little bit of sort of um, easygoing humour there, but the younger guys were just so aggressive. And... Um, and then uh, apparently Anita, who uh, did provide her identification, um, one of the cops told her to tell me to, to provide my ID and then they'll let her go away and I, I wouldn't budge on it. But perhaps I should have because then they started writing out fines and one for me and one for Anita and plus uh, an official direction, which I've got photos of, uh, to move away from the area. Now they claimed but because of some act of parliament that had been brought in previously, uh, that a sports precinct could be designated as the area surrounding a sporting event, and that the legislation gave them the power to arrest anybody that was protesting in the precinct. And I said, well, that's very interesting. I've never heard about it, and there was never any signs or anything, and we're not protesting, so can we go now, please? You know? And am I under arrest? Well, how come I can't go? You know, you're detaining me. And it just... So anyway, eventually they gave us a fine and... You know, and go. tell us how much the fine is. $385. Each. Each. Yeah? Mm. yeah? Oh, and then we went to complain to the uh, police uh, headquarters in the city, in Burke Street. And they weren't very interested at all. And I said, well, we just want to make a statement because, you know, um, We've been assaulted. Well, I was talking about Anita. Anita's been assaulted um, and, uh, and, and uh, suffered abuse by these police, and it's unwarranted. And, and they said, well, you can make a complaint online. And I said, well, I just want you to register the fact that we've made a statement here. And he said, no, no, I'm not prepared to do it. So then we went down to San, uh, Sandringham and we made another complaint in the Sandringham police station. And we believe that guy, although reluctantly, 
did take a record of the complaint that Anita had been assaulted by the police at uh, the MCG. Um, and then, um, then it's been going around the internet quite a lot. Uh, a lot of people are getting uh, very angry about it, and so they should. Um, anyway, so that's what happened. But it was quite shocking. You know, we were, we were quite traumatised after that. I didn't realise until afterwards how these things can sort of traumatise you. You know, we were sort of both out of sorts, if, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah, I do know. Yeah, yeah. yeah so we were sort of, you know, walking around like stunned chooks sort of a little bit after, after that event. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It's like a shaggy dog's tail, isn't it? Yeah, well, there you go. That was Simon Hunt's arrest story for the demo that wasn't. So it puts a different complexion on Vic Pole and its uh, razor-sharp um, operatives. And uh, then later in the uh, week, on Thursday, I go down to the exhibition buildings where uh, Lydia Thorpe is doing a press conference. And this is in relation to... and. Uh, uh, to the racist, violent threats and intimidation um, uh, coming from Nazi terrorist organisation, as they sh she, her uh, press release calls it, threatening the senator and burning the Aboriginal flag, which is uh, exactly what they are, aren't they? Um, and uh, it was a very short and sweet um, affair, the uh, press conference, but um, and I'll play it for you, uh, but... Um, it's more of a reflection in some respects to her feelings about the lack of protection she feels from the Victorian police in relation to the threats put out by these uh, pathetic, um, aggressive people who uh, go around with Nazi insignia. Well, this is what you've wanted. You wanted to shut me down. This building behind us is where it all began in 1901. The racist constitution come out of this building. It's caused nothing but pain and misery for my people in this country. The referendum is an act of genocide against my people and the Prime Minister knows exactly what he's doing. He wants the fucking fascists to come out and get me. That's what he wants. Because his, his violent force that he has sent to protect me can't even protect me. Refuse to protect the black sovereign woman because the police are part of the problem in this country. And I can't ring Triple O. I can't rely on Victoria Police 
after they kill my people? So where is my support? Fuck off you. Where is my protection in this country? You want to paint me as an angry black woman? Well, you are about to see an angry black woman because I am not hiding this time. I've been in exile for four months. Four months I wasn't allowed to be in my own home because people want to kill me out there. They don't want my voice to be heard over the next nine days. They want to feel good about the referendum. The referendum to assimilate our people into their constitution. So what do they do? They send the fascists Two, only two have been arrested after two years. Two years, I'm not waiting two years for the latest fascist fucking violence to come at me. I've hired my own black army. And this parliament has to pay for the black army, not the army that continues to violate black women and black men in this country. I don't trust your army. I only trust my own. So I'm not hiding. For the next nine days, you're going to hear from me and you are going to see me and I am not scared. I am ready to fight for exactly what I went into Parliament for, and that is my country, my people, and I won't stop, and I'm not scared. So come at me. G'day, my name is Margie Thorpe. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 on your dial.
You're with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast. Uh, there's going to be a uh, rally uh, at um, the State Library tomorrow. Well, there's going to be one today at one, and it's for black tests in custody, to stop black tests in custody. Uh, and tomorrow at two, there's going to be a action uh, called by Refugee Action Collective uh, calling for the end of uh, this... Uh, withholding kind of behaviour by the government that uh, has put about 12,000 people uh, begging over uh, permanent uh, visas. And uh, the uh, RAC people are quite extraordinary. They uh, continue to keep people's uh, attention on the refugee issue by doing things like going to strategic places and doing speak-outs. Uh, very effective. And uh, in August, they were outside uh, the Home Affairs Office. You may not know where. I get to travel all these wonderful little places in Melbourne. The Home Affairs Office is actually down in uh, Docklands, in that kind of strange little suburb that's uh, developed down there. And uh, uh, they had a few things to, to say um, to raise awareness. And at the time, in August, we hadn't had the... Um, uh, expose of the head, uh, the uh, public servant at the head of uh, Home Affairs, but uh, they were on the money. Were they on the money? Because they'd been uh, following very closely the behaviour of Home Affairs. And so let's let's go down to uh, the speak out in front of Home Affairs. It's, it was almost thrilling watching people stand there and just speak. Here we're holding a snap protest out the front of Home Affairs. There has been a huge amount of media lately drawing attention to the corruption that runs head to toe inside this building. From ministers downward, the corruption has been on show. We've heard about the millions and millions of dollars gone into corrupt pockets through the offshore detention regime. But it's not just corruption. That is the problem, that is the sick heart of the building behind us. It's the cruelty that that corruption has funded. Home Affairs, the Immigration Department, has been renowned worldwide and across the country for its devastating cruelty to refugees. The locking up of refugees in offshore detention centres, in onshore detention centres, and the holding of people indefinitely, either in detention or on bridging visas or in community detention, is brutal. And it is funded by corruption. And we are here to say, end the corruption, end the cruelty, end detention now. 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 There's been a huge amount of media about Pizzullo, who appears to have come up with myriad ways of funding and sustaining the most despicable offshore detention centres. He's come up and he has uh, designed policy and the architecture for devastating cruelty to refugees. But it's definitely the case 
that government after government, Labor and Liberal, minister after minister, have found Pizzullo to be the perfect pet for their own plans of deterrence and racism. Pizzullo has been the perfect fit for a politics of racism that has identified refugees coming by boat as the perfect source of hostility, as the perfect source of fear-mongering, and Pizzullo has been a perfect aid to those governments in making sure those refugees have been held offshore, have been kept away, and have been treated with the most despicable cruelty. Amnesty International has called the offshore detention centres akin to torture. And there's been some suggestion lately that offshore detention has closed under Labor, but it is not the case. There are still two refugees in Nauru and 70 refugees in Papua New Guinea. Australian government has abandoned those people in Papua New Guinea. And as we stand here outside Home Affairs and standing amongst the people who are lining up to do their citizenship, it strikes me and it must strike everybody that this building, these people inside who have been shown to be absolutely corrupt should not be the people administering the test. They have no qualification to administer a citizenship test to decide whether people have the values or not to live in this country. They are not the people who should be deciding the character and whether the character is good enough to stay in this country. Shame on Home Affairs and shame, shame on the Home Affairs Ministers. Shame! Freedom. Shame on Australia. We must end. Shame Australia. Shame. We must end mandatory detention. We must end indefinite detention. It is immoral. It is so wrong. And now we have found illegal actions. We've known this for a long time. As activists, we've read the newspapers, we've read the reports. We see the evidence, we've seen this evidence for years of the illegality of the actions and the immorality of the actions within the Home Affairs Department. So now we're calling it out publicly and we see it's being reported publicly at long last. Shame Australia, end indefinite detention. Give refugees the protection they deserve. The Australian government has recognised the refugee status of a whole range of people. It changes, the government, the Australian government has changed it from asylum seeking to recognising the dangers that they face in the country that they fled. It has given them the right to be a refugee and live in our community. But then we have a policy that says you have the right to live here but we'll limit how you work, we won't let you study, and we won't let you travel. You cannot reunite with your family. You can never see your family again. Can you imagine the heartbreak this brings to people? It is wrong to do that to people, particularly when we have given them the status of refugee. That means we recognise the risks that they face back in their country that they fled. We must give them protection. We must give them the full rights of permanent protection. Refugees deserve protection. Shame Australia. 
Refugees are welcome here. Refugees are welcome here. There are two parts to the corruption that we've heard about in the media recently. And I want to focus on the corruption in relation to Nauru. Nauru is basically a country that was destroyed by Australia. The local Nauruans, as well as the refugees and the asylum seekers, are victims of Australia's imperialist rule and bullying tactics in the South Pacific. Nauru was ripped to pieces to provide phosphate for Australian farmers, and it was left a wreck, funded essentially by Australia and relying on the cruelty of the camps. The Nauruan government, which is both corrupt and undemocratic in itself, relies on money from Australia. Relies on money for Australia not just to function, but to slip money into their own back pockets. So the situation in Nauru is a product that, of Australian imperialism and racism and bullying over a long, long period. But what makes it particularly bad is that while there are officially no asylum seekers or refugees currently in detention or in, in, the, in the system on Nauru, the government has committed another $422 million to an American-owned company to keep open and run and maintain the detention centre on Nauru. Shame. There is not one person in that camp and they are spending $422 million to keep that camp open. Just think what $422 million would do for indigenous communities, what it would do for schools. And $422 million is not just being spent on detention, it's being spent on deterrence. And it reveals that the entire system of mandatory, mandatory detention and offshore detention has nothing to do with process or security or safe and secure borders. It has everything to do with scaring and frightening away vulnerable people who are fleeing for their lives. The message from successive Australian governments, Labour, Liberal, now Labour again, is you might be at threat, you might be living under a threat, you might be at risk of losing your life in Myanmar or Iraq or Iran or Sudan or Somalia or many other places around the world but whatever you do don't come here and tragically tragically this message is now being picked up and amplified in Europe in Britain in particular the conservative government there the, the equivalent of the Liberal Party here is deliberately copying Australian tactics the stop the boat slogan, the putting people into hotels and locking them up, now even, even in floating hotels, barges, uh, which is essentially the kind of prison hulks that people were put in before they were transported to Australia to take part against their will in the invasion over 200 years ago. So Australian government is spending our money, both openly and covertly, legally and corruptly on scaring people who are running from their lives and telling them to go somewhere else. And that money is going, some of it is going into the pockets of politicians and their offsiders in Nauru and, and PNG. And Home Affairs, Border Force, 
they knew there were dodgy deals going on. And in the rush to get a, a punitive, vicious detention scheme underway, they cut corners. They knew there was corruption. They knew there were dodgy deals. They knew there was money going to waste. And yet they have been prepared to, to spend that money on, on, uh, on, a, on a detention system which has a, a, a purpose to punish and, uh, and oppress. And that's why we're outside here today. Australia's detention system, its offshore mandatory detention system has always been cruel. But now we know for a fact that it's corrupt. And Home Affairs, well, I was going to say, should hang its head in shame. The reality is the senior officials in Home Affairs should be sacked. Not made redundant, not put on gardening leave, not given a package. They should be sacked for collaboration with corruption, for conniving and, and, and organising cruelty. But we mustn't forget that Pizzullo, who heads up this entire department, was formerly an advisor who worked with Kim Beasley as Labour uh, opposition leader. He worked with the Liberals and now he's been kept in place by the current Labour government. And he would say, I'm a true public servant. I can work for the government and the public good despite politics. But the reality is, is quite the opposite. Successive governments have kept Pizzullo in his position because he is doing the dirty work, because he is prepared to actually undertake, undertake the attacks on migrants and asylum seekers, see through the viciousness, see through the cruelty, and let the politicians stand a little way at arm's length. And now Pizzullo is under attack, even from former Liberal ministers. But they are attacking him not because they're against the entire system of mandatory detention, not because they're against offshore detention, not because they care about refugee rights and asylum seeker rights, but because they want to distance themselves from the man who has undertaken the cruelty in the name of the Department of Home Affairs. The Department of Home Affairs is almost a quasi-paramilitary department. Some of the staff walking past us are in uniform because Border Force operates as, a, as an element of the force which is operated by the, by, by the, by the state. It encompasses all sorts of law enforcement. It is a product of the idea that we need a strong state, a vicious state, a disciplinarian state, and it is to Labour's shame that they have not dismantled home affairs, broken up its component parts, put them back where relevant under the control of more civilian authorities. So we say, sack Pizzullo and his offsiders, break up home affairs, end the corruption, but most importantly, bring the refugees from PNG here and allow every one of the refugees and asylum seekers currently in Australia, something like 12,000 people who are left out of the entire migration system. Let them stay, give them permanent visas because this cruelty has to end and the people behind us, the senior people behind us, not the lower level uh, staff members, but the senior people behind us has to, have to be held to account. Woo! 
My name is Selva Coolidgelvin and I am fighting for my life. Thirty-seven months I've been held, I miss my child, I miss my wife. Escape the clutches of the men with guns, Sri Lanka was my home. Australia put me in a prison camp, now it's three years gone. Here they treat me like a worthless human being. Do they see me as a worthless human being? Well, they do not know. Officials here, they question me, they say they want me to return. But how can I go back now when I've seen my people burn? It's hard to go on living when your future is denied Yes, we'll wear you down, it's true, I could be one more suicide So say I'm not a worthless human being Cause no one needs a worthless human being My family need a worthwhile human being So they can know Little girl wasn't even born when I crossed the raging sea. My daily voice on the telephone is all she knows of me. I hold her photo in my hand and I dream of a better time. How do I explain her dad's in jail when I'm guilty of no crime? Can you see me as a worthwhile human being? Only I want to be a worthwhile human being. Can you let me be a worthwhile human being? We all need to know. You're with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast and we were listening to a speak-out that was uh, held in August by the Refugee Action Collective. They are going to be running a uh, rally outside the State Library tomorrow at 2. And uh, that was the Les Les Thomas's uh, song for Selva, the wonderful Les Thomas, who's got an album out, coming out very soon. I think it's called... uh, all my friends are superstars. It's a great title. Uh, so look out for that. Uh, now we're going to move on to uh, the uh, WikiLeaks 17th birthday that was held on Tuesday. Uh, lots of things happening on Tuesday with the rain. And uh, first up, I met some of the people outside the ABC. And then I moved down to the uh, US consulate. And uh, they gave me some words about why it was important to remember how important WikiLeaks is, and also to remember that uh, Julian Sage, an Australian citizen and an award-winning journalist, is not home yet, and uh, we need to keep an eye on that. You've got a couple of things going on today around uh, reminding people about Julian Assange. Can you tell me a little bit about what's going on? Um, so today is WikiLeaks' 17th birthday. 
So 17 years of truth-telling, 100% accuracy record. So some of us, um, we've met at the ABC offices always just to remind them that um, Julian Assange is an award-winning journalist and that they could learn a lot from him. Their whole organisation could learn a lot from WikiLeaks about um, the way they publish facts because ABC's done some good work lately, especially for Dean Yates, but they have got stuff wrong and they could do a lot better to support Julian. Um, there's another mob going down to the US consulate at 1pm today to obviously to protest them, so yeah. And then later you're going to go to the UK consulate because they're the ones who are allowing it, enabling. Yes, they are the ones. They're in the middle and they shouldn't even be anywhere in this at all. Like they have the power to repatriate Julian now. They could deport him, put him on a plane, wash their hands of the situation and leave the Australian government to deal direct with the US. So I don't know why the UK is there in the middle. What are, what are they doing? Julian's not committed any crime in the UK. There's no reason to be held there. And they're not allowed to, they don't extradite political prisoners. So he just needs to come home. We are from uh, Assange Vigil, Melbourne. That's um, Robin. Robin and okay. that's Daniel. And there's few of us. And we do Assange Vigil, Melbourne every week at Flinders Street Station for awareness as to what is happening to Julian Assange. Uh, you know who Julian Assange is? Oh, yes, yes. yes. It is Julian Assange is the founder of WikiLeaks and today is WikiLeaks 17th birthday. So we are here to celebrate and recognize the 17 years WikiLeaks has been in operation and what a wonderful, wonderful site that is. Um, and also, US. Well, you, we're outside, we're outside the US. Yeah. The US consulate represents USA, who are keeping Julian Assange in Belmarsh prison with the grace of UK Embassy because they want to extradite him to USA. Julian Assange hasn't committed a crime. He's not a criminal. He just published the truth and the truth was what they were doing in Iraq and Afghanistan, all the criminal things they were doing there. And Julian did not steal anything. He did not hack anywhere to get the material. It was given to Julian by an American private who was working in Iraq and um, she decided, her name was Chelsea Manning, Bradley Manning then, she's Chelsea Manning now, she decided that she did not go to Iraq and see all these horrible killings and shootings, she went there to protect her country, to be able to bring justice. Because as we were told, that there was uh, weapons of mass destruction there and Saddam was gonna do this, Saddam was gonna do that. Well, he did none of that, because there wasn't any weapons of mass destruction. And she was appalled to see what her own government was doing. So she downloaded things and gave it to Julian Assange. WikiLeaks, 
WikiLeaks over here. And that's how it got published. Julian published it and now they put him in Belmarsh prison. Julian was there um, uh, for bail jumping. They dragged him out of Ecuador embassy and uh, they gave him 52 weeks for bail jumping because he at one stage was supposed to go to court and he didn't go to court because he didn't want to be extradited to Sweden because if he did they would have put him um, in on a plane and sent him straight Sweden, Sweden, Sweden would have straight away sent to USA so that's why he did not go to court for his final hearing he went to Ecuador embassy and um, seek asylum now you guys uh, have been um, keeping vigil for him for Julian Assange you want people to remember that this is a very important person and a very important issue don't you yes absolutely uh, Julian Assange got asylum uh, to protect himself from persecution uh, and as an as uh, 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 an asylum seeker, and he was granted asylum by the Ecuadorian uh, government um, to escape persecution. The persecution was the legal persecution, the um, the abusive legal process that he was escaping by way of asylum. Um, and the British government ignored his asylum rights and went into the Ecuadorian embassy and arrested him, dragged him out and put him immediately in Belmarsh prison without any charge. Subsequently, they cooked up a charge that he'd breached the bail, which of course was the whole point of his asylum in the first place, um, and um, put him in, uh, um, in Belmarsh prison, gave him a sentence of one, just short of one year. And of course, he's been in, in there over four years now. Well, we've been watching this whole court case and the uh, misuse of legal process. I mean, it's actually quite staggering. It is staggering. Do you think that the English government and the uh, Americans uh, government and the powers that be are just hoping that everybody will forget? Um, I don't think they care what people think. I think the Americans want him punished. Uh, and they're using their power and influence um, to make sure that England punishes him, him whilst they uh, apply for asylum, to drag him to America. Uh, and of course, there's, there's, he's never been in America and he hasn't broken any American laws by virtue of the fact that he's not American. Um, and um, so it's just a, it's an outrage. It absolutely is an outrage. And they've just uh, abused every process of the legal system and made a mockery of what we all once considered to be the pinnacle of justice, the British justice system. Um, so they've, um, uh, yeah, they've uh, embarrassed themselves terribly. Good afternoon here on St Kilda Road. This is the headquarters of the United States Consulate. We're here, we're not here really as a protest, we're here to commemorate Today is the 17th anniversary of the founding of WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks is the agency or Dropbox set up as a safe haven for whistleblowers around the world. In fact, WikiLeaks was born here in Melbourne. Julian Assange 
is from Melbourne and the rest of its history. But we're also mindful of the fact that Julian Assange, because of the release of information that we needed to know, information that exposed wrongdoings by people in authority with power, he has been hunted down, vilified and systematically abused. He has spent something like 14 years imprisoned in one form or another. The last four and a half years in London's Belmarsh prison where there has been a mockery of legal process. All sorts of legal experts have testified and lent their knowledge to it. The legal process, or so-called legal process, has defied both international and national laws. But it has been a long battle, but we know that the battle for public opinion has been won. In Australia, the polls put up to 80%, 88% of Australians want our government to be strong with Washington and tell them that Australia wants Julian Assange freed right now. Right at this moment, there is a delegation of six parliamentarians representing all the political parties in the parliament plus independents who are talking to their counterparts in Washington. They're talking to the media and talking to the Justice Department and making a big splash there. It's getting across the media and is affecting American public opinion and it's beginning to have the similar feedback here in Australia. And this delegation follows a letter signed by 63 members of the federal parliament calling for the same thing and calling on Anthony Albanese when he does go soon to Washington to raise the issue, this issue and convey to the President of the United States that the people of Australia are demanding the release of Julian Assange. But the big reason here, as I said before, we're here really to celebrate the 17th birthday of WikiLeaks, not only because of the excellent job it has done in terms of our country, the other countries involved, and many other countries around the world. WikiLeaks is something we need, something we need to continue into the future. And we want to celebrate its existence. And one of the most important consequences of the appearance of WikiLeaks is that those with power can no longer hide as they did before. And we know that Julian Assange 
and WikiLeaks have created a movement that's not going to stop, even with his freedom. We will win that. It's going to continue. And what we're calling for is much more authority in the hands of the ordinary people, of the population. We're trying to encourage people to say the day when our leaders can do things in secret and our name can hide from us, can lie to us, are starting to end. And we look forward to the day when they are no longer able to do this. Hi, I'm Ruby from Fitzroy Primary and you're listening to Community Radio on 3CR. A weak solidarity bricky team listener when people with disabilities were whooping it up after that her, then his, most gracious majesty's commission brought down its report after a mere four years and given the myriad of problems and disadvantage uncovered, action is so urgent that the government said it will act immediately to hold a review into what recommendations it will adopt and hopefully will review the review and send that review to a Senate committee to review, which will then be reviewed, but expects to have an answer in less than four years. Uh, what would you call moving slowly, we asked Minister Rush more and more. Uh, this is too important and urgent to contemplate moving slowly, she was all concerned. Now, I must admit to a heinous error. I don't know what came over me last week. Sincere, sincere apologies to all caring employers who were so upset after we described as another fly in paradise a tax bill aimed at getting some tax out of multinationals but attacked by the caring business class as having unforeseen consequences. Presumably, we said, like, they might have to pay some. They weren't consulted, they complained, and this is my heinous error. We know that when the government wants to change laws for, say, armed robbery, I said it always consults the armed robbers and murderers union. Sincere apologies to all caring employers, to the caring business class, for comparing them to armed robbers and murderers. They are not armed robbers. They do it legally, without the armed bit. Meet award standards which legalise wage slavery, for instance. Well, mostly, sometimes they make the odd error due to the intricacies of the awards. Interesting that, how they can draw up the most complicated contracts ensuring they win whatever happens and then become instantly dyslexic the second they try to read an award. Apologies, because they only resort to the armed bit in extreme circumstances, and then legally, utilising the legal arms of the train killer forces and the, sorry, a constabulary to follow their orders, enforcing the law. Not enforcing the law, but exploiting legal loopholes to interfere in the election cycle and election process, the U.S. of the U.N. of the U.S. of the world, the greatest ever, ever attack on democracy as poor former big supremo and would-be big supremo Donald Trump or the poor is confronted daily by the greatest corruption ever, ever in the latest of the legal attacks on democracy, the judge horribly biased and very corrupt. I wouldn't call such a biased and corrupt person his honour. The prosecutor, fraudulent and grossly incompetent. 
proof of the election interference campaign that every single judge and prosecution team in every single case is the most biased, most corrupt ever, ever. If anyone still has the slightest doubt about this judge being the most biased, most corrupt ever, ever, that doubt must be shattered by his biased, corrupt ruling that Donald shut up and preventing poor Donald making disparaging and untrue statements about court staff just because a beleaguered Donald merely told his social media audience the judge's clerk is the girlfriend of democracy Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, an abuse of poor Donald's right to free speech, exacerbated by the prosecution lawyer describing him as an habitual liar. That says it all. Now we know who the liar is, summed up best by Donald himself in another moment of logic and admirable restraint. The single greatest witch hunt of all time, and that from a man who would never resort to hyperbole. On a positive note, the legacy of his last time round dragged on as Capitol Hill was transplanted to Madison Square Gardens for the sub-flyweight raving idiot title bout between the extreme right. I need to explain a slight adjustment to the normal boxing ring. The red corner is abolished altogether. The blue corner has been renamed the extreme right corner. But then that corner has been stretched, so the ring is no longer a rectangle, stretched with the ringside seating removed to create an extreme, extreme right corner. With the extreme, extreme right, KOing the <coughs> extreme right in the first round, at which point not only its lights went out, but all the lights went out. And last heard, they were still stumbling around in the dark, falling over the prostrate victim, asking if anyone knew where the light switches were, how to get the lights back on. To conclude all that, we're still doing a search, unsuccessful so far, to determine whether Donald has ever, ever uttered what could be deemed a sentence in the grammatically correct sense. Also victim of a biased legal system, great contributor to a common good, fossil behemoth would side with profits, thwarted by an upstart, terridulous, non-land, non-people woman who claims, as a traditional owner, she should have been consulted over a little bit of offshore seismic activity at Woodside Wiff's planned Scarborough gas field. A further delay to, quote, a gas project of importance to all true blue Aussies. All of us. And how do we know this is critical to our lives? Well, Lord Rupert of Wapping's usual suspect columnist told us, Beware the rainbow serpent, bolt through the head alerted us. The federal court has just shown how the race politics of our elites will make us more stupidly superstitious and a lot poorer. This economic vandal, Raylene Cooper, also claimed a little bit of seismic activity would disturb the songline of Wales. Talk about superstition. Thank goodness, speaking for all of us who, who, who so cherish Lord Rupert's contributions to public discourse, bolt through the head and those songlines, the rainbow serpent, are superstitious. How irrational to let superstition delay pouring more good, good, highly profitable fossils into the atmosphere, while a son of God, born of a virgin mother, put up the duff by a holy ghost, walking on water, 
raising the dead, turning water into wine, rising from the dead, and then ascending along with the virgin mum into space is fact, not superstition. Bolt to the head knows all that, but his warnings were franked by the prophet Trump's survival great fossil behemoths who know what's good for um, good well, good for somebody. Anyway, who told us the government is ignoring major Asian trading partners' demands for LNG, liquefied natural gas, and this would hurt our economy and our reputation as a reliable polluter, franked even further yesterday by the former head of Tokyo Gas who warned any disruption to the LNG supply would have huge impacts on millions of people. And all agree, well, I'll clarify that, all except Boltrew the head agree, because he knows there's no need to address climate change because there is no such thing as climate change. It's a conspiracy of the warmest based on no stronger evidence than the climate changing. All except assure us polluting with gas, CO2, methane, is essential to a transition from polluting with gas, CO2, methane, and associated fossils. Impact on millions of people, and like providing all that pollution will not have an impact on billions of people, on all people. I'm sure caring business class party supremo and would-be big supremo constable Peter Duffer and Warren Munding the Waters would attest that that railing Cooper destroying the economy and postponing all that pollution will only become worse if we vote yes. If you don't know, stay ignorant, like us. Battling superstition and ignorance, for that matter, isn't the only barrier confronting the Minerals Profits Council. Workers. Workers egged on by an ignorant socialist government. It has, quote, accused the government of using road safety as cover to deliver unprecedented power to the Transport Workers Union and drive up costs for all businesses. Listen to this for industrial disaster listener. Imposing obligations on the industry supply chain participants in promoting equitable workplace relations a safe and sustainable industry, and sustainable competition or fairness. Good God. Have we ever heard anything as threatening and superstitious as equitable workplace relations, safe and sustainable workplaces, and competition and fairness? It's an evil union plot. Why the Minerals Profits Council representing the great fossil behemoths knows what's good for all of us. Uh, Yes, it agreed. We must have inequitable workplace relations. As Tim Garner make more and more said so wisely, workers must know they work for the bus in unsustainable, unsafe workplaces. And if we don't have unfair competition, how can we make a killing? See, just pure common sense. Unlike those naive socialists and their paymasters, the evil union bosses who have no respect for good bosses. Notice the dynamo who lost the past two state elections for the Kerry Business Class Party, the lobster with a mobster, has been promoted back to the shadow front bench. And who says that lot is short on talent? 
Finally, the recent Socialist Party conference passed a motion asking the government to consider appointing a worker representative to the $250 billion Futures Fund, headed by former caring business class economic guru Peter Cost the Workers LO Bosses, and stacked with good, responsible, caring business class members. Well, the government obviously considered it. This week it appointed Mary Rinst, real name, to the board. A real working class background as 20 years with the Macquarie of Wealth Bank. Well, I suppose she's sort of a worker. Oh, and Mary chairs a not-for-profit, The Hunger Project, quote, which aims to end hunger and poverty. And hasn't that worked well? In fact, given the altruism and community commitment of our banks and great corporations, it's hard to believe there is hunger and poverty. Good morning. Good morning, Kevin. You're back with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast. And to finish up the program, we're going to go down to the biggest rally, uh, union rally, on uh, VCA's campus. That's the Victorian College of the Arts. It's, of course, part of Melbourne Uni. And Melbourne Uni NTU, National Tertiary Education Union's, uh, workers, members, were uh, on strike last week. It's the second a week of uh, strike action that the Melbourne University people have uh, taken because of a recalcitrant management uh, over key issues. Uh, they just refused to do anything at all to deal with casualisation, uh, overloaded workloads and all the other massive uh, issues for the workers on that campus. Uh, so uh, it's great to go to a rally where people have skills. These people, uh, they're all art workers. So this is <laughs> quite a, This is only part of what happened that day, but here we go. I'd like to welcome our third speaker, who is Damien Smith, who is a tutor in critical and theoretical studies in the School of Art. <laughs> Can you hear me? Yes! Good. Okay. Well, I'll pump up the volume. The person who I would like to hear this is our Vice-Chancellor, Duncan Maskell. So, Duncan, this goes out to you. Uh, and excuse me from reading from my notes, but... Uh, so, earlier, earlier this year, um, I, was, I attended my mother's funeral, uh, and I was one of the speakers there. Now, um, you know, not uh, not long after that, we uh, after we slid the coffin into the hearse, I jumped in my car and I drove to the University of Melbourne to give a two-hour tutorial in critical theory. Um, and uh, you know, what can I say? The, the the proper funerary rites, the dignity befitting an elder of our community, could not be observed. And this is because I am not entitled, we are not entitled, to compassionate leave. Shame. We are not entitled to sick leave. Shame. And we are not entitled to any kind of leave because we are casuals at the University of Melbourne. Shame. However, I did share the bare facts of my situation with my students. Um, 
And I did so because I wanted to know, I wanted them to know the brutal reality of what lies before them. A degraded professionalism, a reduced educational ethos that they are already experiencing and a less expansive condition of life against which we all, all of us, must fight. So how, Duncan, Duncan Maskell, how would you feel if this was done to you? What would you think if you could not spend the proper time to mourn your loved ones? And what would you do if you worked for an institution that thought that this is okay? He doesn't do any work. He doesn't. <laughs> So we, all of us, are underpaid. We, all of us, are overworked. And we are all victims of wage theft. And each and every one of us are tired. Now, luckily for me, I have another job that is uh, far more secure and more highly paid than my academic position. I also work as an industrial cleaner where I get paid considerably more for scrubbing toilets than I do with my PhD teaching the brightest minds of tomorrow. Yay! I can't say I mind my multifaceted career, which includes being a published author, a best-selling author, but an academic with a dunny brush is a sure sign that something stinks here. Duncan, I see that, that your father was also a plumber, somewhat like me, you might say. But he was proud of where education took you, as well he might be. But under your watch, the value proposition of, for academics at the University of Melbourne has now been brought to breaking. And yet, you say, our core values is that there must be a genuine and deep culture of respect for everyone at our university. Nice words, but it's time now to put that into action. Yeah. Duncan Maskell, it's time also that you show leadership and deliver a secure future not only to the academics working here, but also to the artists, the musicians, the writers, the filmmakers, the dancers and creatives who feed and vitalise our community of learning. You are on record as a lover of the arts and as someone who has a great fondness for music. So why not make this part of your legacy? In good faith, recognise our value to both the university and to the wider community and let's get this done. Up next, we'll have John Gabriel from Musicology running us through the song that many of you are holding sheets for. Where's John? Oh, John's right behind me. Thank you. All right, I've 
made a hundred copies of this song and tried to spread them out around the group, so please try and get where you can see one, or if you have like two of them right next to each other, maybe let them distribute a bit. Like Morgan just said, I'm from the musicology area. On Thursday morning here at the campus, I'll be running a teach-in and sing-along on music and organized labor. So this is a little preview of what we'll be doing on Thursday morning if you're a South Bank-based person or if you want to come back to South Bank. This song comes from the songbook of the International Workers of the World, the Wobblies. I've made a couple very small changes to try and get the make it a little more relevant to us and not its original use. It's what we in musicology call a contrafacta, so it's new words from an existing melody. You may recognize this as the melody to Polly Wally Doodle All the Day. I am not a singer, I'm a musicologist, but I'll try and get us going with the melody since our saxophone choir is not able to be here quite yet. So it goes something like, to win our strike and all our demand, come picket on the picket line. In one strong fight, we'll join our hands. Come picket on the picket line. On the line, on the line, on the picket, picket line. The dirty little scouts will treat them like a rat. Come and picket on the picket line. And let's keep going. I've got a bunch of verses here. Our fight is not for us alone, but for people everywhere. And your demands are not unjust, but sensible and fair. On the line, on the line, on the picket, picket line, the dirty little scouts will treat them like a rat. Come and pick it on the picket line. If you want your job and better schools, come and pick it on the picket line. For you show dumped in the people rule when you pick it on the picket line. On the line, on the line, on the picket, picket line. The dirty little steps will Come and pick it on the picket line. We'll sing and praise an awful din. Come and pick it on the picket line. We'll stay until the bus gives in. Come and pick it on the picket line. On the line, on the line, on the picket, picket line. The dirty little scouts will treat them like a rat. Get on the 
Our final speaker, Amira Chung, who is an honours student in the School of Art. Okay, cool. Today, standing here today as an honours student, it's ironic that I am more invested in my tutor's presence at this rally and their consequent absence in the classroom than vice versa. As we have come to learn with the monetization and mass production models of degrees, the work is not the grade or the paper. It has to be in the actual tangible experiences and connections here. If you're standing here today, it means that you believe in reform. And to some extent, you believe in the rich humans running this place. I hope we win, because I'm leaning towards revolt over reform. Yeah. <laughs> Including the computer lab, anyways. We have a lot to lose but less and less as the years go by, thanks to inflation. As the UniMelt advert prompts, discover what you're made of. Apparently, all we're made of is poverty and anger. I'm sure my feelings are shared. I'm quite angry at this institution whose branding colours are unironically shared with the police force. I feel anger at this institution that would use false promises to glorify its own commodification of dignity and our right to an education, as if operating dishonestly on public money as a private, rent-seeking, leech-like business was not bad enough. Hey. Hey. To the uni and its tokenistic, shallow marketing, human life is invaluable. And we know the uni knows this because of all the fucking research that goes into it. <laughs> $25,000 a year for our casuals. Not in this recession and the housing crisis. Not in the years left before we might all die from climate change. Not even in the years when Daddy Whitlam gave us education for free. <laughs> and especially not when the Uni Melbourne own financial reports say they apparently allocate $1.5 million to staffing expenses. If we had to price human life, it might be something closer to that $1.5 million that the salary our Vice-Chancellor Duncan has. I want to communicate two points to you today. One is about the cruelty of enforcing poverty mindsets onto tertiary education staff and the irony of this taking place in a tertiary institution. And the second is about how our empathy workers, our uni workers, are responsible for any semblance of equity, equity we have here and through their need for a work-life balance, real pay rises, for consistency and genuine frameworks of support, like bereavement leave, like carers leave, is more important than anything else. Poverty mindsets and poverty fatigue are exacerbated by instability. In this case, that instability is coordinated by the institution and results in short-term contracts and uncertain workloads for our staff. Shame. Shame. <laughs> the power play of enforcing instability is that it keeps the worker waiting on their feet, keeps their schedules on freeze, induces anxiety, which in the long term is really fatiguing. It makes it so much easier to exploit them with periods of unfair hours and makes it harder for them to jump jobs in financial safety. It forces them to tick the terms and conditions of their employment, no matter what those conditions say. 
I think of teachers sacrificing their personal boundaries, giving their phone numbers out so they can help see you through a degree. I think of all the times my tutors are not contractually obligated to debrief on subject matter, but they do this because they care genuinely about the success and welfare of their students. I think of the non-uni facilitated opportunities I have been given by them. Empathy workers are the equity in this world. Teachers working conditions are student working conditions. Thank you. And we'll leave them there. Uh, that was uh, the BCA rally for uh, uh, that was held as part of the Melbourne University NTU Week of Action. Fantastic um, speech, fantastic speech. Uh, we're at the end of the program for uh, uh, this week. Uh, and uh, just a reminder that there's the National Day of Action to Stop Black Deaths in Custody, 1pm at the State Library today. Uh, we'll, um, coming up next is Asia Pacific Currents. On the program today, we had a few reflections on the Vic Victorian police. Uh, we heard from uh, Simon Hunt and the arrest story for the demo that wasn't on uh, the grand final day. Uh, Lydia Thorpe's press conference where she was uh, telling uh, us that she felt very unprotected after the... Uh, uh, Nazi hate speech online video with the burning of the Aboriginal flag and direct threats to her. Uh, there was the um, SNAP protest at the Home Affairs Department. We really went around the place, didn't we, this week? Uh, there's going to be a rally tomorrow at 2 at the State Library uh, calling for permanent um, visas for all. WikiLeaks 17th birthday and then, of course, this is the week that was... As I said, coming up next is Asia Pacific Currents and we'll go out with the song Warriors with Wild Hearts. Thank you.
Join the National Day of Action to stop black deaths in custody. 1pm Saturday the 7th of October at the State Library. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.